child is born, a mother is born also. She did not exist before. The woman existed, but not the mother. Motherhood is something altogether new to her at that moment. There's a tenderness in the love of a mother. Cannot be chilled by selfishness, daunted by danger. It cannot be weakened by worthlessness or stifled by ingratitude. Mom sacrifices her comfort for the well-being of her children. She glories in their accomplishments. And in their disgrace, though the whole world might cast those, that child aside, mom will still love them. If you remember in the Bible, who was it that Jesus saw at the cross when he is in the depths of agony and it is worse uh, a torture of his whole life as he's hanging on the cross? Who is it that Jesus sees in front of him? Was it his 12 disciples that followed him for three years? No, it was not. Was it the blind man or was it the leper that Jesus had healed? Again, no, it wasn't. It was his mother, among a few others. Motherhood is not an easy task. One person, one mother said it this way, if it were easy, fathers would do it. Uh, we'll talk about that more on Father's Day, okay? But uh, I, I did see a, a funny Calvin and Hobbes strip. Calvin is standing by his mother's bed. And he says, hey, mom, wake up. I made you a Mother's Day card. So obviously she was pleased, as mothers always are, and she opened up the card and read the following poem. I was going to buy a card with hearts of pink and red, but then I thought I'd rather spend the money instead. It's awful hard to buy things with an allowance so small, so I guess you're lucky I got you anything at all. Happy Mother's Day. There, I said it. Now I'm done. So get out of bed and fix breakfast for your son. I don't know if that uh, rings true to any of you, but uh, it's tough being a mom. Ninety years ago, President Woodrow Wilson proclaimed the second Sunday in May to be honored as Mother's Day. Uh, he said this, For the public expression of our love and reverence for the mothers of our country. Truly, no, no nation is greater than its mothers because the mothers are the makers of the next generation. And so we're grateful for you today. How fitting that a day is set aside to honor our mothers. We are expected this year in 2020, this is an amazing fact to me, but we're, they're expecting uh, for the total spending for Mother's Day this year to be $26.7 billion with a B dollars. People appreciate their mothers. That is uh, in comparison to only $16 billion for fathers. I have an issue with that, but we'll just pass that over for right now. Everyone wants to honor mother. Modern moms average two kids apiece. In the 1950s, the average was 3.5 kids. I've known some of those .5s. Maybe you have also. In the 1700s, it was 7 to 10 kids each. But no matter how many children you have, it is a job in itself. Mom, you do 7,300 diaper changes by your baby's second birthday. Now, my wife only did 7,298 because I did two of them. I just want credit for that. Your preschooler requires the, your attention once every four minutes or 210 times a day. Lord, help you if you have two of them. You'll do an average of 330 loads of laundry each year. In fact, I think if, 
if you want to look at a great proof against evolution, that's motherhood's one of them. If evolution were true, moms would have eight hands, amen? As much as they do. I want to read today an account from the Bible that illustrates the love of a mother. And then also compare that to the love of our Savior. First, First Kings chapter 3, we're going to start at verse number 16. The Bible gives us a story here. Then came there two women, they were harlots, unto the king and stood before him. And the one woman said, O oh, my Lord, I and this woman dwell in one house, and I was delivered of a child with her in the house. And it came to pass the third day after that I was delivered, this woman was delivered also, and we were together. There was no stranger with us in the house, save we two in the house. And this woman's child died in the night because she overlaid it. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while thine handmaid slept and laid it in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. Think about that. And when I rose in the morning to give my child suck, behold, it was dead. But when I had considered it in the morning, behold, it was not my son, which I did bear. And the other woman said, Nay, but the living is my son, and the dead is thy son. And this said, Nay, but the dead is thy son, and the living is my son. Thus they spake before the king. Then said the king, The one saith, This is my son that liveth, and thy son is the dead. And the other saith, Nay, but... Thy son is the dead, and my son is a living. What to do? She said, she said. Verse 24, and the king said, bring me a sword. They brought a sword before the king, and the king said, divide the living child in two, and give half to the one, and half to the other. Then spake the woman, whose the living child was unto the king, for her bowels yearned upon her son. And she said, O my Lord, give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. But the other said, Let it neither be mine nor thine, but divide it. Then the king answered and said, Give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. She is the mother thereof. In search of the real mom. Father, I pray you'd help us this morning for a few minutes we have together here. Help this to be a blessing and a challenge. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mother's Day can, for some people, be a painful time. It might bring up unpleasant memories, maybe bittersweet memories of, as you reflect on your mother's passing, if she is not with you anymore today. On this day, there are mothers who struggle with guilt, uh, past decisions they've made, failures they feel they have had as a parent. Many mothers wrestle with feelings of disappointment, feelings of failure, how many times, Mom, if you're listening to my voice right now, have you felt like a failure? But at the intersection of God's grace and human imperfection, God often does His best work. I want to look at these ladies today in the Bible because they illustrate to us, as something we already know, there is no such thing as a perfect mother. And if there's anyone in whom we should be willing to overlook some faults, it ought to be our mother. After all, who has overlooked more of your faults than your mother? I mention this because being perfect, thank God, is not God's requirement for motherhood. Uh, I want to, and, and we do need to lift our mothers up. Sometimes we're too hard on them, many more times they're too hard on, their, on themselves. 
But we look at this text today and what we read, we see a serious, we could call it a maternal deficiency in this story. Neither one of these women would be up for any kind of an award as mothers. They were in business together. They were part of the world's oldest profession. The Bible calls them harlots. One of the mothers serves as a source of encouragement for us because it's an illustration of the fact that you may not have started outright, but you can always finish right, amen? No matter what you've done in the past uh, in your life. The case of two harlots here in this passage claiming to be the mother of the same baby. Here's what happened, and, and it laid it out for us in Scripture there. <coughs> they were roommates. They were the only two living in the house. And so they were perhaps in the same room, perhaps in separate rooms, but they were uh, one of these ladies uh, gave birth to a baby. And then the Bible says three days later, the second woman also gave birth to a baby. Now, because of their profession, these women were well acquainted with rejection, with disappointment, and with fear. But now, having given birth to two sons, there had to be some kind of sense of hope in their lives. Something good has happened. Something, uh, life is looking up just a little bit. So you have two mothers with two babies in the house. No one else lives with them. The fathers are not in the picture. Probably they don't even know who the fathers are because of the lifestyle that they led. The babies were both boys, and they looked similar to one another. Do you know why? Because they were babies. Babies look like each other. It's just a matter of fact. They all look alike. They're little wrinkly beings. They just look uh, pretty much all the same. I remember when I made my, my, daughter's, my oldest daughter's graduation video and uh, took a whole bunch of pictures from a hard drive. We had them all stored on it. I'm making this video, and I was really proud of it at the end, put a lot of work into it, and I showed it to my wife, and she's watching it, and she said, I mean, just didn't even blink, didn't even pause. You use Lydia's picture there for her as a baby picture. Why does it matter? They all look alike anyway. Nobody knows except mom. Mom always knows. But then in uh, our story, something goes horribly wrong. At night, these ladies are sleeping with the babies in their bed. One night, one of the mothers, the Bible says she uh, overlaid it. In other words, she was sleeping with her baby and she did what, what you've probably been terrified of doing in your life as well. She rolled over on her baby and she smothered it, and the baby died. At some point, she woke up and she realized what she had done. And you can imagine that panic that hit her heart when she realized, I have killed my baby. And uh, while she's contemplating this and no doubt weeping and crying about it, this uh, all panicked, she has a thought, a horrible thought. Her eyes drift over across the room to mom number two, sleeping peacefully with her baby. She sneaks across the room, lifts the sleeping child, replaces her dead baby to where the living child was, and goes back, and now she has the living child, and the other mother has the dead child. Can you imagine what a horrible thing that is to do? Now, number, mom number two did just what not mom number one did. She woke up. She realized it's, it's dark. She realized that the baby is not breathing. And she has the same thoughts that mom number one had. Now she's panicked. She can't believe 
that her baby is dead. I have killed my own child. Can you imagine the pain that would go through a mother's heart realizing I've killed my own child? So, daylight has a way of revealing plots of the night. The Bible says as she considered it in the morning. In other words, as daylight starts filtering into the windows and, and she can see her baby, as I said, mothers can tell the difference even if you can't and which baby is which. She realizes, this is not my baby. And so she now accuses mom number one. Hey, this is, she probably unwrapped the baby maybe to give it one last kiss before she would have to go out and bury her own child. And she realized, this is not my child. You have a situation here where each woman knows the truth, but one of them refuses to acknowledge it. There are no witnesses. There are no doctors. No one that can vouch for the truth. Back and forth, the women make their claims and counterclaims. They end up before King Solomon. He has to make a decision. No evidence has been offered because there was no evidence to offer. It was a she said, she said uh, situation here. The two mothers in the story were prostitutes on top of it all. Their babies were conceived under probably illicit and sinful circumstances. And this grabs you. This makes you take notice. How could people of their ill repute be, uh, that, that here's Solomon, the most powerful king in the world, yet he takes time to judge a dispute between these two harlots? You have no idea. We really have no idea what, what the mother has went through up to this point. I'm sure she went to her local magistrate. She's tried to get help from the local officials in her uh, town or wherever she lived. Maybe the case was dismissed because of lack of evidence. Maybe they didn't care because of who she was. But she kept going and she was persistent. Eventually the case made it all the way up to King Solomon. Two prostitutes in ancient Israel had access to their government. They had access to their government because God has always been concerned about justice. And that does us well to remember that. When we feel sometimes in our life there is no justice. The Bible says in Isaiah 1.17, Learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Hey, God cares about justice. We'll see it one day even if we don't see it immediately. Despite any moral failings that these women had, God still loved them. I think that's phenomenal. That no matter where we are in life, God still loves us. In the New Testament, you remember Jesus also dealt with people of questionable character. We see him coming to a woman at the well with had five husbands and was living in sin with a sixth man. And Jesus cared enough to go out of his way and minister to her. The woman that we find in John chapter 4 that was caught in adultery. Many people in that day would not give her the time of day and many didn't. There was already some that had cast her in front of Jesus' feet saying that she needed to die. But Jesus loved her, spoke to her, forgave her and told her to go and sin no more. Jesus took a lot of criticism by the religious leaders. He was called a friend of publicans and sinners in Matthew chapter 9 verse 11. And in Matthew 21, he responded to them when he said, Verily I say unto you that the publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Imagine that statement. Jesus loves us. 
God loves us. No matter what station we are in life, no matter our failures, no matter what we've done, God loves us. What a tremendous truth. Sometimes we forget there's a prostitute in the Lord's family tree, Jesus' family tree. In fact, she was the great, great, great grandmother of Solomon himself. Her name was Rahab. As human beings, you know, it's easy for us. Sometimes we make snap judgments about other people. We do it so easily and so quickly. But God does, he doesn't ignore the problems of our life, but he loves us in spite of the problems in our life. Remember, God is the one that can bring beauty from ashes and does so over and over throughout Scripture. As Solomon looked at this situation, obviously somebody's lying. One of them's telling the truth. One of them is lying, as he says here in verse uh, uh, 23. And so, uh, either the story was true that the mother had switched the babies, or the other mother was trying to get a baby that was not hers. One way or another, somebody is not telling the truth. Solomon realizes, full realization here, that one of these mothers truly, truly cares for her son and loves him and is heartbroken. At the same time, the other is a cold-hearted, selfish monster who wants to not only, not only make up for her loss, but deprive another mother of her child. So he sits there for a moment in silence. Then he says the words, bring me a sword. Now when a king, <laughs> you've got your case before him, imagine what they're feeling now. king says, bring me a sword. Oh, we might, we might have ought to work this out somewhere else. Somebody's going to get it. This is bring me a sword. And then the awful words, cut the child in half, give each woman a half. What kind of a solution is that? Cut the child in half. Imagine the brutality. Imagine how, how, uh, this is how unheard of this would be. To mom number one, this would assuage her grief. She's already lost a child. So she's no longer, now don't forget, don't miss this, she's no longer the mother of a living child, so she's not thinking like a mother. Mom number one is, she's not a mother anymore. I mean, she's not a mother of a living child. Mom number two would be absolutely horrified. That command when the king said to cut the baby in half would hit her like a thunderbolt. When she would fall to her knees, no doubt, and through tears and agony, says the unthinkable for months, perhaps. She's been fighting for her child, and now she says the very thing she's been fighting against all this time. Go ahead and give her the child. Just don't kill it. Solomon had to try to figure out who was telling the truth and who was not. He had to figure out who the real mom was here in search of the real mom. One woman was a counterfeit mom. She didn't have a mother's love for her son, uh, for the child, because it wasn't her child. There were no witnesses here that could be brought forth. So what was Solomon to do? You couldn't torture them. The strongest one would win, not necessarily the right one. There was no such thing as DNA testing yet. So when he gives the confusing order to cut the baby in half, he was wise enough to know that in their response, he would find one mother's response would be typical 
of a fleshly view of the matter because one of them was acting very fleshly and very selfish. He knew then also that the other represented the true characteristics of a mother because she was the true mother. By the way, these are characteristics also found in Christ that we'll see in just a moment. This would convince Solomon of who the real mother was. I want to look at the first mother's response here. Her, her, uh, her response is characterized by deceit and selfishness. By the way, these characteristics will ruin any home. Proverbs 14.1, Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. She had gotten up in the night to do the deed, but the darkness could not hide her deceit. She refused to give up, uh, to own up to the death she had caused. And so she shifts the blame to another. Her selfishness is revealed in verse 26 when the Bible says, let it be neither mine nor thine, but divide it. Can you imagine the cold-heartedness? But selfishness always seeks its own advantage. That's what selfishness does. It devalues the life of others. It only seeks its own personal gratification and gain. Oh, listen, friend, today, don't live a life caught up in selfishness. The most miserable person in the world is that one that cares only about himself. Don't be caught up with selfishness. Now, traditionally, we look at this story, and we think this story is all about the demonstration of Solomon's wisdom. And it is. That's, uh, in fact, the, the passage ends there in verse 28, And all Israel ordered the judgment which the king had judged, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him. That was sort of the purpose of this story. We saw the wisdom of Saul, but not only uh, of Solomon, but not only do we see the wisdom of Solomon, but we also see the characteristics of motherhood. See, Solomon recognized there was a characteristic that only the true mother would show. And so let's look at her response. Well, the real mother's response, the first part of her response is sacrifice. Was she concerned about the life of her child? Absolutely. She was willing, though, to sacrifice her relationship with that child to keep that child alive. Now, she was destined to a hard life even if she got the child back. Because of what she did, she had to, uh, if she was going to make a right choice in her life and turn her life around, she was a single mom, she was a harlot, uh, she probably didn't know who the father was. That didn't matter, though. She loved her child. No matter what the conditions. I think of so many moms in our world today raising children in difficult situations or in bad conditions. The real mother in this story would rather see an enemy raise her child than to see her child harmed. She would rather have the child live without her than to die with her. She put the child's welfare above her own. Sounds like a mother, doesn't it? Your mother did the same thing. You have to be willing to give up some things to be a good mother. Personal sacrifice is the pivotal part of motherhood. It begins by sacrificing your own body to carry a child around for nine months. No mother's child ought ever get over that sacrifice. Our mothers fed us, nourished us, 
protected us with their own bodies before we ever saw the light of day. I don't know anyone who loves me enough to carry me around for nine months. I look at, I count Jeremy even as one of my best friends. He's never offered to carry me around for nine months. Mom did though. Then she goes through the jaws of death to give birth to you. And the sacrifice doesn't end up there. They keep giving. They, keep, uh, they give up sleep for midnight feedings. They give up on their personal goals to help their children achieve theirs. A mother embodies the idea of sacrificial love. They give of their time, their finances, their resources, often to their own detriment. I'm sure all of us could take time and stand up and tell about ways that our mothers sacrificed for us and how grateful we are for that. Years ago, a young mother was making her way across the hills of South Wales carrying a baby in her arms. She was overtaken by a, a blinding and sudden blizzard. It was very bad. She could not find her way anymore. When the blizzard had, had uh, subsided, her body was found by the searchers under a mound of snow. When they found her, they discovered that before her death, she had taken off all her outer clothing, wrapped her baby with all of her own clothing, and then she lay her body over the child so that she might give as much of her body heat to that child as possible. When they unwrapped the child, they found that, to their great surprise, he was alive and well. Years later, that child grew up to be David Lloyd George, Prime Minister of Great Britain. He is known today as one of England's greatest statesmen. But it's all because of the sacrifice of a mother. How many times has our mother sacrificed for us? Because of your sacrifice, it allows your children to grow and achieve greatness. The greatest mothers in history may be the ones that the world has never heard of. An interesting story I found about Thomas Edison. When he was a young lad going to school, his teacher sent him home with a note. Thomas Edison. This is what it said. Your child is slow. We can't do anything for him. Mrs. Edison wrote back, You do not understand my boy. I will teach him myself. You think she did an okay job teaching Thomas Edison? Truly, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Not only is a mother's love sacrificial, it's also unconditional. As you sit here today, can any of you think of anything you could do to make your mother not love you anymore? While many of us have done things to anger our mother or irritate her, a mother's love is unconditional. A mother loves her child no matter where they are or what they are doing. Heard a story about in 1980, Louise Bundy, after her son was convicted of two murders, she told the News Tribune, Ted Bundy does not go around killing women. Our never-ending faith in Ted, our faith that he is innocent, has never wavered and never will. Only after hearing the tapes of his confessions to his many, many murders and his, did she accept that he was a serial killer. But she didn't disown him. Just before his execution, she told him, you'll always be my precious son. 
A mother's love is unconditional. They're sacrificial. Can I tell you, friends, today there is another that loves this way, sacrificially and unconditionally. We talk about the sacrifice of a mother, and if motherhood is anything, it's sacrifice. Emotionally, her heart is broken more than most. Uh, There's a sacrifice physically. Her girlish figure is sacrificed to childbirth. It's spiritually she is it's a sacrifice. She's constantly bombarding the throne of God on behalf of her loved ones. This mother in our text was willing to sacrifice her own rights to her son. This is a reflection of the gospel. Jesus also suffered. He sacrificed emotionally. We see him on Palm Sunday weeping. We see the rejection all throughout his life. He sacrificed physically. His body was deformed on the cross. He sacrificed spiritually. Remember the words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He sacrificed that we might live. In 1 John 5, 11, and this is the record, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. What a great thought that the God of heaven loved us enough to send His Son to die on a cross for us. John chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loved us so much He sent Jesus to die for us. This is sacrificial love. It's also unconditional love. He loves us no matter where we are, what we have done, or what we will uh, do or become. God loves us. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Wow, what a thought. The Bible says we're all all sinners. Every one of us. It says in Romans chapter 3 that there is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single one of us are stricken at birth with this sin condition. We cannot solve it on our own. We can't live good enough to outdo our evil deeds. We're sinners. It's not a behavioral problem. So you cannot solve it by a behavioral change. It's a condition that we have. It'd be the same thing as somebody uh, being diagnosed with cancer and their doctor saying, you know what, if you just do some really good things, it'll take care of the cancer. No, it's a condition. It's not a behavioral thing. Neither is sin. Sin is a condition. It's not behavioral either. So because we are sinners, we all are basically headed for hell. As the Bible says, he that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So the Bible tells us we all deserve death for who we are. For the wages of sin is death. But then the Bible tells us Jesus was our substitute. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Motherhood is a reminder of compassion, of sacrificial love. God has granted to us everlasting forgiveness and mercy through faith in Christ. I suppose that that's one of the reasons today is very special. Because if we recognize the love of a good mother is probably the closest example we have to the love of God. Think about it. Can you honestly give me a better example of God's love on this earth than a mother's love? 
In fact, God said it himself in Isaiah 66, 13, as one, as, as one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you. God himself compared his love to a mother's love. To those who feel helpless, rejected, despised. We need to pray for a new hope, a new realization of the kind of love God has for us. I want to encourage you today, friend, if you think nobody but your mama loves you, God loves you. He sent His Son to die for you. He wants to save you. What a blessing that is. We need to claim God's promise. That he, we need to recognize that He has a mother's type of love for us. Do you feel unloved and unwanted this morning? You're not. There is one who loves you unconditionally. May this uh, picture here that we have, I mean this picture of mother's unconditional love. She was ready to give her son, just like God did, gave his son for a mother's love. Let that put the happy and happy Mother's Day for you today. I don't know how God has spoken to you through this little story this morning. Maybe... You think your mom feels like you failed. Maybe you feel you failed your mom. Maybe you desire today to accept the unconditional love of the Father. However God's spoken to you today, would you respond? Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed.